It's Monday, September 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Monday, gentlemen. It is a new week. Thank you, Chris. It is a good Monday, isn't it, Bill? It, it's, it's, what are you referring to? Oh, the fact that our fantasy football team won. Oh, that's true. I thought you were going to, was it going to be a Yankees Red Sox thing? Oh, uh, no, but there, there, <laughs> there's there, that too. There is that there's too. That too. Um, I have a number of handy comments which are not fit for <laughs> airing at this moment. Let's move on to the, uh, the topics at hand then. We're going to talk, uh, United Natural Foods, um, which is, uh, doing quite well as of late. Um, the latest high-tech IPO. We're going to dip into the full mailbag, but we have to start today with, frankly, a topic that we rarely discuss, and that is, who is the next chair of the Federal Reserve? Uh, the market is up this morning, and I think it's fair to say that at least half, if not the bulk of the credit, and I use air quotes for credit, uh, is given to Larry Summers, who has officially taken himself out of the running to replace Ben Bernanke as the next Fed chair. Bill Barker, I know it's easy for a Yale graduate like you to poke fun at a Harvard man like Larry Summers, but um, in all seriousness, we were talking about this yesterday. It really did seem like for all of his qualifications, here's a guy, former Treasury Secretary, um, on paper, certainly qualified to be the next chairman of the Federal Reserve, and yet you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people going to bat for this guy. Well, I, uh, not only on paper, but in, in reality. I mean, the <laughs> qualifications are absolutely there. And I, you know, I uh, certainly living in Washington, you run into lots of people that uh, know everybody and, and, and know much far better than I do. And, and so you when, hear... And when you say know everybody, you're talking about the political... The political realm, which, yeah. which he's been uh, in and out of for, for many years. And... Uh, he's held a lot of lot of posts. He's he's had success, and uh, he, he probably has more success on his resume than than people who who seem to love him um, <laughs> as a guy to hang out with, maybe. But I I don't know. I don't know anything about him uh, on, on that line. But you know, the, the market was more or less was was it at an all time high last yes, when he close. was assumed to be the next uh, Fed chair, and so now it's you know. 0.5, higher. I, I mean, it's not like people were panicking over the idea of him. It was, it was, market was going up and it's going up again today. And some people are going to ascribe all that to one piece of news. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how the news cycle works. Jason, here's how widely assumed it was that Larry Summers was going to be the next chairman of the Federal Reserve. On Friday, a bookmaker in Dublin had Larry Summers as a one to six favorite to be the next Fed chief. And if you took the field, you got 20 to 1 odds. So, uh, I mean... Yeah, 1 to 6, for those who don't know, that means that you are winning $10 on a $60 bet. Yeah. So you're you're getting your sixty dollars back yeah, plus basically ten. Basically, saying it was a given. So please don't yeah. even bother betting on this guy. Is is what the bookmakers are telling you because we're barely going to reward you. So if you you were betting against that, you know, if you were betting on Yellen uh, the other day, you're. Ooh, you're looking good. Yeah, right? those are like the Tiger Woods winning the Masters odds. It's pretty much like everybody kind of thinks it's going to work out that way every year. Um, and, you know, obviously it didn't work out this time. It seemed like, I mean, some are certainly, far be it from me, I'm not a political analyst, but from what I can see at least, he had he had some challenges on both sides of the aisle. So it didn't seem like it was a, a Democrat versus Republican thing as much as it was just he was going to have some issues, I think, getting confirmed. But, uh, I mean, I think this really lends itself to why we don't, 
invest based on these types of short-term events because, number one, you can't really predict what's going to happen. I mean, there, there's there's just no way to really do it. But then, number two, to really predict how the market's going to react based on on whatever decisions are made right. is equally as difficult to predict. And so, I mean, I think it really lends itself to to our style of investing here to begin with and just looking for fundamentally sound businesses, looking at them from the bottom up, making sure we have uh, great management teams behind companies with excellent competitive advantages, and then using time really uh, to, to, to let these stories play out. Because, yeah, I mean, you just – the market's up today. It'll be down another day, and who really knows? But, I mean, eh. I, I mentioned this to you earlier today, Bill. The only thing I know about Larry Summers that made me – because in general, I, uh, as to Jason's point, I generally don't really care who is uh, the Fed chief. But one thing I do care about uh, is something that Warren Buffett has talked about in the past, and that is the whole notion of temperament. I like the fact that if, if I want anything from the next Fed chief, it is – the Ben Bernanke-esque temperament. He seems like among the the most unflappable people in the world. And Larry Summers, among other things, amidst all of his qualifications, known to fly off the handle now and then. I don't know that I throw <laughs> equanimity as, as like one of his top character traits, right? I mean, that's a probably a safe assumption. Word. No, I, I, look, I, none of us know him personally well enough to opine on on right. any of his his personal characteristics we i mean he, we can i mean that's i mean we're in the business of doing that i guess no. uh, i i feel bad kicking a guy when he when he's down today somebody who who has the accomplishments that he has but there are a lot of people who are kicking him today you know i mean jumping on this and a lot of people who are happy uh, that he's not going to be there some of them are people who want as, as the story goes you know, somebody who's going to be easier with money than he was uh, purported to be. Right. You know, and and so, hey, more you know, QE four, QE five. That's what that's what we want. Uh, you were more likely, based on the rumors, to get that from another source than from him. So that's that's maybe today's market action. Maybe it's more than that. Um, you know, I I think I think it's true that Bernanke. Seems, uh, you know, very in control, um, and and I, you know, I think Summers would have been able to do the job, but he would have done it with a different style than, um, you know, Bernanke. All right, let's move on to actual companies. United Natural Foods up more than fourteen percent on Friday after reporting some pretty strong uh, fourth quarter results. Yeah, uh, the stock was getting some uh, at least one upgrade that I saw this morning. Uh, there. Fiscal guidance for the next year is looking pretty good. This is a company you watch pretty closely, Jason. What'd you make of the quarter? Yeah, I mean, I've been following it. I, I tapped it back at the beginning of the year as as, uh, as an opportunity. And you know, I mean, the neat thing about United Natural Foods, and I mean, most, so this is just an opportunity for you to take a victory lap. Uh, is that why we're talking? I mean, about I'm going to take a victory lap. Yeah, sure, I mean, why not? Okay. I mean, it's, it's we've all done it. We've we, all we've done no it. shame yeah. here, right? I mean, it's. Um, but no, this is, I mean, it is a neat company because, you know, they are the primary supplier for Whole Foods, which everybody knows Whole Foods. And so we often look at that sort of that investment in the organics and naturals and Whole Foods being a primary way to do that. But there are other ways to do it. And you look at things like Haynes Celestial um, and United Natural Foods is another one. And, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, tremendous, tremendous quarter, tremendous year uh, operating profit growth, about 20 percent for the year, which was significant as they continue to build out their distribution network. And that's what this is at its core. It's a 
distribution play. And so uh, United Natural Foods is, is the biggest dog in that field. And it's sort of a, a mixture of acquisitions and, and uh, longstanding relationships, primarily the Whole Foods. But as uh, the organics and naturals spread to other concepts like supermarkets in general, Safeway, Kroger, Publix, things like that, um, United Natural Foods continues to benefit from that. And um, and I, I don't really see any reason for that to slow down. I mean, their, their relationship with Whole Foods is longstanding, and it's been extended through 2020. So that's another positive there. And then, you know, we had co-CEO of uh, Whole Foods, John Mackey, in here earlier in the year, who had a lot of good things to say about the relationship as well. So I, I think there are still uh, reasons to be optimistic about the company and stock. Is this the company that is behind, when you go into a Whole Foods and they have their house brand, which is the 365 brand, is United Natural Foods the supplier there for all part or none of that? I can't actually attest to that. I'm not quite sure what relationship they play with the 365, but they do have other uh, the organics and naturals brands underneath their umbrella, things like Albert's um, and Field Day and other, other names like that. I don't know that they take part in the production of any of the 365, um, but that's something we could certainly investigate. You know, you hear about uh, strategies for some investors uh, like this that, you know, to thinking that Whole Foods is well known and uh, United uh, is is sort of the same thing, but a, a way to get a, a, a less known story uh, than Whole Foods. And, and so to the degree that people are picking up on this as, as that kind of thing, it is true that they've been highly correlated over the last two years. But you know, you take a longer term view. Whole Foods has been a, a much better investment. Um, not that United Foods hasn't been a good investment uh, over the long term, but uh, you know, Whole Foods has has a brand. It, it has things that are go beyond just you know how much organic food can it sell, and and you know, United riding its coattails on that. So, you know, of of the two, I, Whole Foods is the superior has been the superior investment. United Foods, though, has been a, a much less uh, volatile uh, holding. You know, Whole Foods really in the 08, 09 uh, period took a much, much bigger hit. United Foods got a little bit more differentiated. It's, it's got other partners. So yep. uh, uh, it, both have been good companies. But, you know, to the extent that people think, oh, this is an undiscovered way to get Whole Foods-like returns on the stock, it, I'd caution on that logic. Yeah, this was a little bit more of a slow, slow and steady kind of wins the race, but yeah. And Jason, when you look at the valuation of United Natural Foods, obviously if you're a shareholder, you're having an especially good Monday. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at the stock for the first time, is it fairly valued? Is it a little pricey here? You know, I, I think yeah, this this pop on Friday and today it's it's uh, it's it's trending upward again. I, th- I think that it is it is now to the point where anywhere above thirty times earnings with a company like this, and I become a little bit wary of that. I mean, I, I feel like it's great to be on the watch list right now, but it's more of a of a company. I think it's it's you take advantage during opportunistic uh, sort of earnings releases when they miss estimates versus when they kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, so so today, I probably would not be a buyer of the stock. Certainly hold them if you have them, but uh, definitely want to keep an eye on Twitter is going public. The news broke late last week. Uh, the company filed a confidential S1, which means that the one thing we know about Twitter from a financial standpoint is that their annual revenue is less than a billion dollars. That's how you get to file the confidential S1. How interested are you in looking at the financials of Twitter when it becomes available? I'm just curious, stepping back from Twitter itself, when you see a company filing confidentially like this, does it 
get you more interested or does it make you a little bit more wary? Uh, because we talked about this a little bit on the Motley Full Money radio show. Certainly, you have to assume that the environment of the last six months, the, the run of the market and other IPOs, the success of other IPOs had to have helped tip the balance in some small way or maybe a large way with Twitter. If you work inside Twitter and you're pushing to go public and you look however many weeks ago it was, at Noodles and Company. <laughs> Noodles and Company just skyrocketing on the IPO. That I just imagine walking into a room at Twitter and saying, look at this. We're, we're bigger than this. We can make even more money. Yeah, there's a sell-high aspect <laughs> to anybody uh, who's coming out while the market is uh, reaching new highs, brushing new highs, something like that. So they can't be blamed for taking advantage of what is uh, likely to be investor enthusiasm now that you know Facebook has has gotten well above its IPO price after sort of being a, a, a little bit of a drag on the story that Twitter might be able to bring out. Uh, people would have been saying, "Oh, but look at how Facebook and everybody got burned on the IPO there." You know, today Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, name it. Um, Twitter is uh, coming on the heels of everybody having made some money and, and some good money in some cases uh, off off those companies. So I think that has a lot to do with it. it you know, they they could have gone out earlier uh, and haven't. So I think they've shown some discipline. But I imagine that they can use some money um, over there and and have ways to to utilize that. As to how interested I would be in the financials, very interested. It doesn't fit in uh, typically to the you know the way that I typically make investments because you are banking on phenomenal growth but whatever I I guarantee the IPO price is going to price in uh you know dominant growth uh, mm-hmm. over the next 5 10 15 years as, as some sort of support for the price it'll come out at I'm not very good personally at that kind of investing we have people in this company who are uh, and, you know, so I'd, I'd listen to them on what they think about it. What are you going to be looking at when the information becomes public? Is it average revenue per user? Is it how have they done in terms of growing their revenue quarter after quarter? Yeah, I think primarily just the sources and the growth of the revenue itself. I mean, we can figure this is going to be a relatively high margin business because it's relatively uh, capital light in nature. But I mean, you know, you look at something like a Facebook that has over a billion users, and Twitter's Twitter's significantly smaller. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of you know two hundred twenty, two hundred fifty million registered users. Or yes, it's like that, only two hundred million. And, and, and it's, it's when you say only, it's like wow, you, you realize all of a sudden that Facebook really does have a tremendous you know user base there. But but I think understanding uh, you know the concern I've always had with Facebook, and it's it's not one that necessarily makes me bearish on the stock, but it certainly makes me think about it more. Is just because they're pure advertising plays, at some point it feels like it's going to detract from the user experience because you know you're not being charged to use it at all. And so then I wonder with with Twitter, I mean, it's going to be primarily an advertising play. It'll be interesting to see sort of how they how they see uh, you know that that revenue growth in the coming years because you know like like Bill was saying, I mean, this is going to be priced probably for some very hefty expectations. And I I think I've heard some estimates in the secondary market of around a fifteen billion dollar market valuation. And if you you look at you know somewhere around the neighborhood of five hundred million dollars in revenues, well, you can see that that is that is a very 
robustly priced <laughs> company. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were saying the same thing about Facebook, and I think we've been saying the same thing about Facebook for a while. Is you look at, like, from a price-to-sales metric, it just seems really optimistic, especially when you when you compare it to something like Google. Um, you know, but this is the way the world is going, these mobile platforms of Facebook and Twitter and even LinkedIn to a degree. So it'll, uh, it'll be fun one to watch. But unlike Facebook, when it went public and Facebook had no mobile revenue, about 50% of Twitter's revenue does come from mobile. So they've... They at least have that going for them. Yeah, I mean, I think Twitter is a better mobile experience overall. I mean, it seems like it was really geared more for that from the get-go. Well, it, it's interesting what people will uh, hang on to in terms of getting at a growth number because, look, the company wasn't built from day one to find revenue and to steadily grow it, right? So it, it was kind of agnostic on, well, we don't quite know how we're going to make money off this thing that's becoming important, yes. but we get enough users and we'll figure out the money later. And and it, that was an accurate uh, business plan. And so you're going to have very, very, very small numbers in the revenue column until quite recently. <laughs> right. And then there are going to be, there's going to be staggering growth, you know, in the last 12 months, in the last, you know, two years, year over year. And you're going to be say, well, they grew, you know, 10, 20 times in the last 20, just extrapolate that for another sure all they have to do for a month all they have to do is grow 10x you know 20x year after year and and who's to say they can't right you know i mean what what i don't even know what the numbers are because i haven't looked at, at what they have filed at all yet but it's it's going to look like this is staggering growth just project that out a little bit more, and it'll justify a good price. And I mean, this is right along the lines of Dick Costello's thinking from the very get-go, right? I mean, you see a lot of these LinkedIn, I think, was very much the same way, and they focus first and foremost on on the service that they're providing, learning how to, to build out this service. And then, you know, the next stage is to really focus on bringing their customers or users into that service. And then the third step is sort of letting the success of those first two dictate how the, how the service is going to then be able to generate money. And so it's sort of you know, if they were building this to make money from the very get-go, I don't think it would quite go the same way. But that's that's why you've seen it be able to, to grow such a significant user base so quickly. You can follow us on Twitter. At MarketFoolery is our handle. A uh, couple of comments. Uh, first from Rodney Hart in Brockton, Massachusetts. We talked last week about Kmart setting a record for uh, earliest holiday <laughs> ad. Um, Rodney writes, Kmart advertising Christmas when everyone is advertising back to school. Reason one of a million why they're irrelevant. I can't argue with that. Just can't argue with that. Uh, and from Benjamin Grover, he writes, can you discuss Jarden Corp? I'm interested in them since the Yankee Candle deal. They hold a lot of successful brands. Would love to know more. Uh, Bill, I had said uh, at the time when we talked about this, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I had never heard of this company until they bought Yankee Candle for <laughs> one and a quarter billion or whatever whatever number, which was a whole lot bigger than I ever would have imagined for Yankee Candle. But this is a company you actually know pretty well. Um, it's a company with a lot of brands that I think people know, Mr. Coffee, Sunbeam, etc., uh, First Alert, and now Yankee Candle. But uh, w- when you look at Jarden, and by the way, the stock has done, it's been a market beater for you know a good five years or so. Yeah, well, uh, you know, consumers, uh, consumer staples, consumer discretionary in general has been a phenomenal place to be, uh, to be operating a business and to be invested for the last three, four, five years. And 
they that's what they have. A lot of uh, consumer brands, uh, most of which are not as successful as the ones you just mentioned. I, I was looking at a couple of their pages on the way uh, into here, and wow, do they have a lot of brands that I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, small regional things that I'm sure uh, have, have brand power where they operate, uh, but uh, it, it's staggering how many different little brands they have you know like blue tip matches is one of the things that that makes you know their front page and you're like how what what is the money in blue tip matches i don't don't personally know but uh they've they've done a great job in the last five years of rolling up things and and uh no reason they can't do that for you know another 10 15 years I'll tell you what impressed me was i was looking through the uh the conference call they had from when they announced that yankee candle deal and so the global candle and home fragrance market is 25 billion dollars i mean that's like fairly significant when you consider that yankee candle isn't isn't even responsible really for yet a billion in revenue every year right. i mean I, I think they see that as as really tapping into a genuinely uh, sizey market opportunity. But, you know, another thing I like, I mean, they're doing with this deal is they're taking advantage of, of a pretty, I wouldn't want to say richly priced uh, stock. But, I mean, you know, it's it's feeling the love thus far. So they're going to issue about 10% of their market cap out there to help fund this acquisition, which will add about 12.5 or so million shares to the outstanding count. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're using their shares as currency at a relatively decent time to make this deal. And it's, I think overall you get a, a high margin candle maker with a pretty sizey market opportunity in front of it probably be another one of those you know at least a few of the successful brands that we know of that they have there to go with the other sort of mundane ones. i wouldn't have thought that you know uh home scent is double the market size of what twitter might come public i mean it's an interesting <laughs> fight to to picture in one's mind are we including when you Candles and home fragrances, are we including things like Febreze? Because I think you're including anything that plugs into your wall that you can spray in the air or that you can light that with That makes a match. your house smell better. $25 billion. Hey. I can see that. We talked a couple of years ago about Febreze being a billion-dollar brand for um, uh, whatever is the, the, the corporate parent. Yeah, especially when you consider all the pet owners just in the United States alone. I mean, you need something to kind of get that stank out, right? <laughs> I don't think we can top that, so I think we're going to wrap up here. Uh, to read more from Bill Barker and his crew, uh, you can go to foolfunds.com. Sign up for Declarations, the free monthly newsletter. That's foolfunds.com. Bill Barker, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. By the way, one final note. If you do follow us on Twitter, then you already know the news that we have shared on Twitter, which is that Uncle Joe Mager back in the States, and we'll be back in studio tomorrow. So Joe Mager coming later this week. Uh, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.